Well, it's good to see you with us here today in this uh, beautiful fall day that God has given us. Are you enjoying the weather changes? Yep, I heard some amens out there. God is good, and it's a joy to be together, to be in his holy word, to be growing and maturing in the truths of God. We're uh, in week 18 of this uh, journey that we're taking through the letter of James. And it's a sweet journey uh, so far and with much more to look forward to. We're in chapter 3 today, and we're going to be studying verse 13 through 18. If you want to grab your Bibles and turn there with me, uh, if you're just joining us, you'll uh, find James towards the very back of your Bible after Hebrews and before 1 Peter. Um, We are calling this series Faith at Work, as this is James' primary message to reveal and, and highlight that True saving faith goes to work. It produces a a changed life. It produces work and words that honor God and no longer honor the flesh. And thereby gives evidence that that faith that we claim is truly saving. It's truly transformed us. And uh, so in this, we continue to have different layers of evaluation and observation that James is making. And today we dive into the area and the topic of wisdom. Um, in these verses that we will study. And so I'm excited about what God has before us. I want to jump right in by reading the entire passage that we'll study today, and then we'll make our way. Uh, James chapter 3, 13 through 18 says this, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And the harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. The word of our Lord. Let's jump in the first part of the first of this verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? Who are those who are wise and understanding? Simple question. And it is a a varied mix of people that we might consider or evaluate. Maybe we might bring to mind those who are well studied. um, Those who have shown evidence of good discernment. And so this is the next area of example that James is going to use in showing his audience that true faith goes to work. And if it doesn't, then it's not true saving faith. To prepare us to dig into wisdom this morning, let's define it so we can rightly evaluate and answer this question, who is wise and understanding among you? First, it is helpful to know that Wise and understanding are commonly used together in Scripture. Those two words, wise and understanding. We see this, for example, in the deep parts of the Old Testament. Deuteronomy chapter 4, uh, verse 
5 and 6, See that I have taught you statutes and rules as the Lord my God commanded me, that you should do them in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. Keep them and do them, for that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples, who when they hear all these statutes will say, Surely this great nation is wise and an understanding people. Wise and understanding. What is wisdom? I think we often confuse wisdom with knowledge, and we need not. Wisdom is a soundness of action or decision. Sound action or decision with regard to the application of truth or knowledge. Wisdom is not knowledge. It's the application of knowledge. It's the action. If you have knowledge, then you're acting upon it rightly. That's wisdom. It's important to clarify that it's not just knowing something. You're not wise if you just know about something. It is a right understanding and application of what you know. That is wisdom. This is why wisdom and understanding are used often together and here. So foolishness then is when you know what is right, but you fail to apply it. That's foolishness. James spends a good bulk of time on wisdom in this part of his letter because it is a critical tool for understanding and seeing our ongoing faith at work. Faith is not based on feelings or simple mental assent, but is wise action upon truth and knowledge. It is one thing to understand who God is and what He promised, to know about those things. It is another thing to rightly apply that knowledge with God-honoring faith and application Listen to the definition of faith according to Hebrews chapter 11, 1 through 3. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that What is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Our faith, church, is based on knowledge. Knowledge about God. The knowledge God has given us about Himself and about the world. It is based on the promises He's made. But that faith is not faith until it acts. This is the clarity I love to share with you often. That saving faith is not just belief about something, but it is belief into something. There's a big difference. 
the demons rightly believed about Jesus, who he was, had a better un, uh, knowledge about Jesus than many other people did. But they did not have wisdom. They did not have faith because that would have meant they would have acted on that knowledge rightly and honored him as Lord and trusted their lives to him. But the demons do not do that. Only those who God redeems with saving faith do we trust our lives to him. Do we believe into Jesus? This is an ongoing reality. It was throughout Scripture that many people claimed faith in Jesus and yet proved with their lives that that faith was not saving, was not true, it was religion. They, they had enough in their, in their knowledge to believe about Jesus, but they were not transformed by him. The scriptures speak to this often, even the sobering words of Christ himself, to declare that there will be many who will say, I never knew you. Yeah, you knew about me, you did a lot of things for me, but I never knew you. You didn't have faith into me. You weren't part of my redeemed people. This is James' point. He wants to highlight the difference between true saving faith and those who don't have real faith, who have religion, have false faith. And we see the evidence and the proof of true saving faith in our works, in our words, in the transformed life that God has done within. Wisdom is an outpouring of our knowing God of our faith in Him. It is something that all Christians should have and live out. This was James' charge in James chapter 1, verse 5. You flip back a page. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. Therefore, no Christian is without excuse that you don't live and have godly wisdom. Godly application action upon knowledge wisdom has always been one of the most treasured things of mankind that one could hope to have the old in the old testament the words wisdom or wise are seen over 300 times we'll see that in some of our examples today but let's first see what james says next in verse 13 who is wise in understanding among you By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. In the second half of the verse, he answers the question he poses in the first half. Those who have faith in God, those who have godly wisdom, prove it or show it or display it by their good conduct, their good works. These works, these good God-honoring deeds, display that they possess godly wisdom. They act rightly in a God-honoring way. See James say this again and again, church. Your faith will show itself in your life. If it's true faith, if it's saving, if it's transforming, In your actions, in your words, true wisdom will show itself in good works. Specifically, James says, your faith at work will be done in the meekness of wisdom. That humility or meekness is a great 
sign of the work of God in a person's life. James, um, Jesus was meek. God the Son prophesied about many years before the incarnation, before God the Son took on flesh. It was said in Zechariah 9.9, Behold, your king coming to you, righteous and having salvation, is he, humbled, meek, and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the fowl of a donkey. So we see this beautiful prophecy of a humble Redeemer, Savior, King. Matthew eleven twenty nine. 29, Jesus says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, humble, meek. Christian meekness or humility is an evidence of the work of God in the believer's life. It is grounded in our clear-eye view of our wretchedness in sin and God's glorious grace that sets us free. When you understand who you are in sin, what you've produced by your life, and how failed it is, and then you see with clarity the glory of God, the grace of God, the love of God, you will be humbled by these truths in the most powerful way. In the shadow of the cross, we are meek and humble, for we have no ground to stand on ourselves in pride. We are totally and joyfully dependent and desperate for Jesus Christ alone. The Old Testament is clear to point out these truths as well. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7 makes a big, beautiful, bold statement. It tells us that wisdom finds its beginning, its birth, godly wisdom finds its birth in the fear of the Lord. When God unshackles your eyes and gives you eyes to see and ears to hear, when spiritual life is put upon you by His sovereign well, one of the great gifts in that awakening, in that new birth, is a right and righteous fear of the Lord that in your sin you did not have. You had arrogance and pride. Nothing you did was unto Him. And so in the Old Testament, the fear of the Lord is this picture of, of, of knowledge, a right knowledge of who God is, a, a righteous respect and fear of who God is. In Proverbs 2, 9, tells us that godly wisdom produces in us a discernment for what is right and just. And then in Proverbs 2, 20, tells us that we will walk in a way of good and keep to the paths of righteousness. So therefore, church, our lives will display the wisdom of God in an attitude of meekness and not pride. 
This is where James goes next. He's going to show what earthly or fleshly wisdom looks like and what it produces. The opposite of godly wisdom, earthly wisdom. Look with me in verse 14, James 3.14. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. Why is bitter jealousy and selfish ambition false testimony and prove to be ungodly wisdom? First, because they're not the fruit of the Spirit. They are sinful, fleshly characteristics. If one claims to be of faith, in God, but harbors bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in their heart, then they don't boast or testify of the truth. Their testimony is false. And James would argue, so is their faith. We must be so mindful of our sinful tendency to live by the pride of the flesh. Jeremiah 9.23, thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. But this is the way of the unregenerate person, the person who's not been born again, doesn't have spiritual discernment, doesn't, hasn't trusted God with their lives. Doesn't have the Holy Spirit at work. They live in the flesh. That's all they know. It's all they do. Those who live in the flesh only have man-made wisdom. Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Any kind of man-made wisdom, man-produced wisdom, earthly wisdom, <laughs> is not to be boasted in. It fails to see that true wisdom is of God alone. It's not of man. It's a failure. It's a flaw through and through. It's hard to find on earth a self-professed fool. A fool who says, I'm a fool. Most people have a high and elevated view of themselves and what they know about life. In a culture of relativism and self-professed rightness and wisdom, I mean, are these things not at an all-time high among the lost? The wisdom that is of the world is based on man's limited understanding man-made standards, and selfish objectives. Earthly wisdom declares that mankind is supreme. It does not submit to God's sovereign rule and authority. I pray you hear God's word today. Some of the absolute worst life decisions I've seen people make over the last couple decades of my ministry is when people are convinced that they are wise in their own eyes. 
They do not long to submit to God. They, they do not long to submit to the Word of God or the shepherds God has placed over them. Solomon is clear in Proverbs 3, 7, do not, I'm sorry, be not wise in your own eyes. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It's a growing part of the dialogue of Disciples Church. As we walk together and struggle with the temptations of the flesh, the longings of the flesh, and to live out who we are in Christ, that we would love each other enough to look at each other in those moments where we're feeling really like, this is the, what I need to do. And it seems to shirt submission to God, submission to His Word, submission to shepherd, elders, placed to lead and we just love each other enough to say, don't, don't be wise in your own eyes. To plead with each other. See the error, brother, sister, in this pursuit. You, you and all of your own reasoning and logic have come up with why you think this is good and the best thing and the right thing. But see the error. Fear the Lord. Let us climb into his word together. Let us go to prayer together. May it be so. There's been great moments of victory when we've heeded these counsel to turn from being right in our own eyes. James highlights two motives behind human wisdom. Bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. Jealousy is when the flesh wants what it wants. It wants what other people have. It's not satisfied in God. It's unsatisfied. And so it's looking to be filled in what others have. And it makes you bitter. That bitterness, that word there, it means it's sharp. It's cutting. It wants what it wants. It's, it's a never satisfied gluttony for what other people have. And, it just, and you won't be satisfied in that. So let me ask you just personally this morning as we consider bitter jealousy. Is there a lacking satisfaction in your life of who Christ is to you? That you are busy looking left or right at what others have and wish that you had it too. If left unaddressed, this will lead to earthly wisdom and decision-making that has failed and faulty through and through. Lead to great error in your life. Consider the other description given here, selfish ambition. Earthly wisdom at its core is self-centered. Meaning its own personal ideas and desires and standards are the measure of everything. I mean, is this not a picture of our modern culture? It is self-serving. And it is in no way or regard respect to God for His ways 
and his will. Earthly wisdom is the fuel of earthly ambition. Driving some to work hard, study hard, unto ranks of power and influence, not for the good of others or the name of God, but for self-exaltation, for influence and power for oneself. A person whose motives are based in worldly wisdom are inevitably arrogant. This is why James says, But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. He says, if this is you, stop. Don't boast. Or your testimony will be lies. James is pointing out that the boasting of earthly wisdom is ultimately false testimony to the truth. One of the reasons why is because when a person boasts in themselves, they prove to lack divine wisdom. Divine wisdom that will cause one to rightly boast in God and not in man. Watch a person when they are lifted high in places of life. Or in victory on the battlefield or or victory in the game they play. If they boast in themselves, they prove to only have earthly wisdom and to lack the godly wisdom that causes one to boast in God alone. See, church, how James is once again pointing out the evidence of true faith in God and that it plays out in our works and our words. A professed Christian who is proud and boasting in themselves is a fraud. This is his loving exhortation to not continue as a fraud, but to be awakened that true faith will produce God-honoring works and words. will show the evidence of godly wisdom, not earthly wisdom. James has already declared in James 1.18 that... <clears throat> God brought us forth by the word of truth. If your wisdom is man-made and and your boasting is in yourself, then the wisdom you claim is not truth. If a person claims to belong to God, to have the wisdom of God, but his life is motivated and characterized by selfish ambition and bitter jealousy, then he is simply lying against the truth. No matter what he claims, the truth is not in him. And likely not even saving faith. James is not casual about his exhortation as he says this in verse 15. Hear the potency of these words. 
This is not the wisdom that comes from above. Bitter jealousy, selfish ambition produces false testimony. This is not wisdom that comes from above, but is earthly, is unspiritual, and demonic. The three characteristics James lists here are three great enemies to the life of the believer. Earthly, the world, the creation, the fallen world. Unspiritual, meaning natural or fleshly, and demonic, pointing to the work of the devil as demons. Let's look at these three closer for a moment. Earthly, wisdom that is of man and not of God is earthly. In other words, it's temporary, it's finite, it's present only, it's material, it's limited in time and space. While man can reason or theorize or, or, or accomplish much by himself, or maybe even in collaboration with other men, earthly wisdom is always restricted and limited. It is far short of God who is infinite and limitless. It is within the bounds of the creation and it is no way in no way does it wield the power and insight of the creator. This limited and self-serving wisdom is what our man-made philosophy, education, politics, economics, sociology, psychology are built on. See with me how these areas of life and advancement are utterly limited if only built in the wisdom of man. See how self-serving they are if not ever for the eternal glory of God. The earthly. Number two, unspiritual, natural, selfish, fleshly. This is a reference to the fallen, the unredeemed man who is wholly corrupted. But the fall of mankind because of the fall of mankind, is rightly and fully separated from God. 1 Corinthians 2.14 The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. Folly. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. unspiritual doesn't discern the spiritual the natural man is ruled by their limited and spiritually dead flesh therefore every part of a natural man has been corrupted by sin his mind his will his emotions and flesh even the apparent good therefore 
that the natural or unregenerate man does is ruled by sin. Because that good is not done in faith unto the glory of God. Thirdly, he describes this as demonic, which is fitting. Satan has always promised wisdom as he tempts mankind. To live by worldly wisdom alone is to settle for demonic wisdom. It is to be satisfied in the lie that Adam and Eve believed at the fall. Genesis chapter 3, verse 5, Satan tempted them and said, For God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Earthly wisdom is nothing more than the foolishness of demons. Full of demonic deception, as it appeals to the flesh and the falseness of mankind. It looks to satisfy the self-interest of the flesh. Now in verse 16, James brings a sobering explanation of what man-made earthly wisdom brings about. Because it produces something. There is a work that earthly, unspiritual, demonic wisdom produces. Look with me at verse 16. James 3.16 For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. James has already linked the the, the presence of, of jealousy and selfish ambition with earthly, unspiritual, demonic wisdom. Trying to take knowledge and then discern or make good decisions based on limited, earthly, unspiritual, demonic reasoning. But he goes so far to explain what it produces earthly rightness, unspiritual discernment, demonic action or conclusion will produce disorder in your life. It will produce a life of vile practices. I think a lot of the gross errors that we've all done in our former life before salvation were routes with thinking or reasoning that we thought, hey, this will be good for me. This drug I'm about to fill my body with. This money I'm about to take from somebody else. This uh, sexual ambition I have to live outside of God's intended plan. There's a reasoning. There's a discernment that's fleshly, that's unspiritual, that's demonic. That led us into that. And so there it is, self-made, man-made, spiritually dead wisdom produces things like anger and bitterness and resentment and lawsuits and divorces and ethnic and social and economic divisions. 
and civil unrest, even anarchy, terrorism. It might be easy this morning to shirk the consideration of earthly wisdom. But don't miss what James is showing us because its influence is widespread. It's it's rampant. I want you to see the root of sin at work in this. See the, the failed reality that we know all so well that surrounds us every day that is the direct result of mankind living out earthly wisdom. Think about the things that normal people do all the time that are vile practices that are detestable and hurtful. Think about the practice of financial greed of sexual immorality, the casual, everyday viewing of things that God intended only to happen in the protection and the intimacy of the marital bed. Surely, when we see it rightly, a vile practice. Think about the dishonesty that is so rampant among People in business. The coercion and defrauding of those who want to steal your money. I mean, your email is filled every day with scams. Vile practices of people trying to take your hard-earned money. What makes people do these things? that are not abnormal, these things that are very normal in our society. Man-made wisdom and fleshly logic and sinful desires is at the root of these things. Church, hear James' point that true faith in Jesus Christ not just to punch a ticket to heaven, but a trusting him with your entire life will mean a life that honors him with your words and your works. It is a faith at work. So test and evaluate and look to consider whether your proclaimed faith is true or is rooted in the earthly wisdom we see all around, all the time? Do you reason and make decisions with man-made logic, with culturally driven priorities, or with godly wisdom? Do you see the evidences of disorder and vile practices in your life? Is jealousy and selfish ambition at the helm of your heart? If so, this is not the wisdom that comes down from above, James says, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Those who possess only the wisdom of man 
will demonstrate by their lives that they have no saving relationship with Jesus Christ, no real desire to worship and honor God. But praise God, praise God, that by the grace of God there is salvation. Amen? There is divine rescue from the folly of man-made wisdom. This is not only ushers this into God's holy favor and forgiveness, but it blesses our lives, our daily lives, with godly wisdom. Wisdom that is from above, that influences then every part of our lives. Look with me at verse 17. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits. It's impartial and sincere. The source of true, true wisdom, hear this today, the source of true wisdom is God. Job said it this way, God is wise in heart and mighty in strength. Job 9.4 Later, he asked in Job 28.12, But where shall wisdom be found, and where is the place of understanding? God answered him in Job 28.28, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and to turn away from evil is understanding. In the New Testament, we see Paul, the Apostle Paul, declare in Colossians 2.3, In Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Romans 11.33, Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God! How unsearchable are His judgments and how unscrutable His ways! This is the wisdom that we need. Truly that we long for, not limited, but is of God. The Holy Scriptures are clear to testify the only way we can know the wisdom of God is to know God. Proverbs 9.10 The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. First Kings testifies that the Lord appeared to King Solomon and told him he'd grant him one wish. Solomon asked for understanding and discernment, for wisdom, so he could make good decisions for his people. The Lord then highlighted the fact that Solomon did not ask for self-serving things like riches, a long life, the death of his enemies, you know, all the stuff you've thought about if you were given one wish. Instead, he asked for discernment and understanding of justice. So God made Solomon the wisest man who would ever live. Solomon went on to highlight in his writings the massive difference between worldly, fleshly wisdom and godly or heavenly wisdom declaring that human wisdom was totally bankrupt. 
declaring in Ecclesiastes 2.16 that the man with human wisdom dies just like the fool. Oh, how desperate we are to know God, the Lord of glory, and his divine wisdom. Listen to Jeremiah 9, 23-24. Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. Let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me. That I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. And so I ask you today, do you know the Lord? Not know about him, but know him personally because he has given you that saving faith. Because you've trusted your life to him. If you want the wisdom of God, you must know and trust the God of wisdom. If you want the wisdom of God, you must know and trust the God of wisdom. There is no wisdom apart from saving relationship with Jesus Christ, who is himself the power of God and the wisdom of God. 1 Corinthians 1.24, those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. 1 Corinthians 1.30-31, because of him... You are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Jesus' words in Matthew seven twenty four through 25 Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. You must be born again. You must be in true fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ if you were to know the wisdom of God. Look with me closer at the wisdom that is from above. I just want to run through these quickly. First, wisdom from above, he says, is pure the wisdom of the Lord is holy. It is without blemish. It is without error. Pure wisdom is a reality for the believer so much so that you will not see God without it. Hebrews 12.14 says, Holiness without which no one will see the Lord. And in your very salvation there is a wisdom. There is the moving from just knowing about God to trusting him to believing in him that's wisdom at work in salvation and it's perfect Matthew 5 8 blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God he also says it's peaceable those who are truly wise with the wisdom of God are peaceable do not perpetuate conflict or disorder by their selfishness James seems to have in mind the words of Christ in his Sermon on the Mount as this list matches very heavily with what Jesus speaks of in the Beatitudes. Matthew chapter 5. Matthew 5, 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. 
Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God pure. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God peaceable. Those who are in Christ, who have true saving faith, are blessed with the peace of God. Inner shalom. And peace among the brethren. Many ways peace plays out in our lives. That's another sermon for another day. Look at me with me in the next one. Gentle. Gentleness is a sign of godly wisdom because you are not run over by hardship or trial. You respond even to tough persecution with gentleness because you know that with godly wisdom, you know this. Matthew 5, 5, Blessed are the meek, the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. You know that Matthew 5.10, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Without godly wisdom, you don't respond to life this way. You don't respond to hardship this way. It is knowledge applied in godly wisdom that causes you to interact with great hard circumstance with a gentleness, a a radical evenness of temper. It doesn't send you to crazy town. There's a posture of gentleness applied. He says that another attribute is open to reason. There's an evenness about the person who walks in God's wisdom. You're not undone by hard things and you're not overdone by great things. Your spirit reasons with the truths of God which overpower then the circumstances you face. He says that we're full of mercy. Again, mindful to the words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 7. Blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. Because the saved have mercy received mercy and know that we will stand at before the judgment seat with Christ alone as our advocate and substitutional sacrifice that we will receive mercy from God and therefore godly wisdom with that understanding produces mercy for others produces good fruits James emphasis in James chapter 2, 14 through 20, we preach through that, that true faith in Jesus will mean good works, good fruit. The tree that has been brought to life will produce good fruit. It won't produce the fruit of the old dead tree. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. It's impartial. This was James' emphasis in chapter 2, 1 through 9. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. That godly wisdom causes you not to show bias or prejudice based on external realities. It's not man-made wisdom, it's godly wisdom. It's the opposite of the one who lives by man-made wisdom, whereby that produces disorder and vile practices. Finally, sincerity. 
The Greek word that James uses here for sincerity or sincere is the same word that Paul uses in Romans 12, 9. Let love be genuine, sincere, genuine. In other words, he's saying, let it be without hypocrisy. It's authentic. Why? Because I can, I can have that godly wisdom produces sincerity in my life because I no longer have to wear the mask I used to have to put on to get people to like me. Why? Because my identity is grounded in Christ. It's fixed in Him. Are you seeing how all these evidences and attributes and characteristics are the lifestyle of the one who has a right knowing of how, who God is and trust in Him as God? You see how godly wisdom produces, reveals itself in these things. Our faith at work, godly wisdom at work, shows these things. And I pray that this is your reality in Christ. That if you don't know and trust Jesus, that you would. That the result of your faith in Jesus would mean a replacement of fundamentally flawed, inferior, man-made, earthly wisdom with godly wisdom, which is from above, which produces, as he concludes in verse 18, a harvest of righteousness sown in peace by those who make peace. Close your eyes and just picture this with me as we close. Picture with me today a beautiful and expansive harvest before you. As far as the eye can see, all the way to the horizon, picture it on its best day. See the harvest of righteousness before you. See the work of God in your life through Christ. See godly wisdom shaping your days and your life, influencing your decisions and your discernment and how you steward every day that he entrusts to you. See its impact on your marriage, on your raising your kids, on managing your money, on your health, and on your time. See the impact of godly wisdom on your family. See the harvest of peace. See, instead of disorder and vile practices, a harvest of righteousness sown in peace. See the fruit of that harvest as it yields peace in your life. See peace in your family and in your church and in your community as God's adopted children are redeemed in Christ from earthly wisdom to godly wisdom. See its fruit, church. See it at work. May it be at work. See the peacemakers of God at work, their faith at work. Be the peacemakers of God. That our faith would go to work, church. It would show itself Godly wisdom would change your life and your family and our church in this world. It will transform us. May God be glorified as lives are transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this time that you've given, this passage you've given, to do business with this important understanding of wisdom and the difference, the flawed difference between earthly wisdom and the wonderful gift of godly wisdom for those who are truly of faith. Lord, that, that we would celebrate the truth that you have brought us back to life, that you have given us a faith 
that not only saves, but that transforms our life, that, that sends us forth with new practices and convictions and priorities. Father, hear us as we respond in song this morning, as we celebrate this great gift of the gospel and go forth into the week that you've prepared us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.